Number 263 will be the invitation song this morning. Number 263. Well, good morning. Welcome. It is a beautiful day that the Lord has made, and uh, we're going to be turning in the Bible to do what we can to find out who we are this morning. The journey of self-discovery. I I actually got this title from an article that I saw online. And this particular article didn't really have much to say. Well, actually, it didn't have anything to say about God. It was all about looking into yourself, see, and finding out who you are based upon how you feel and based upon what you think and based upon what you want and uh, based upon even what other people perhaps may want that are around you. But it's really not, uh, it didn't have anything to do with God. But uh, our study this morning is going to be Journey to Self-Discovery God's Way. So our lesson is going to have everything to do with what God has to say. So hopefully the lesson this morning is beneficial to you and will help you also in, in your journey to find out who you are. As, as, as most of you already know, uh, this last week, the week before actually, uh, well this past week, last Tuesday wasn't it, I got, uh, got a call from the health department of the state of Arkansas to let me know that some adoption records had had been uh, prepared, and I went and picked those up. As also you know, I was contacted by a lady when I was in in Kenya who uh, just said, I don't know how to tell you this, but I think you're my brother. (laughs) And, uh, of course, most of you also know that I was adopted when I was eight months old, and uh, I have had loving parents raise me up in a good home, I have been provided everything I need in life, and so I have been content and happy with who I am for a long, long time. Uh, This newfound discovery, by the way, I found out she was or is my sister. I do have a mother. My birth mother is still living. She lives in McKinney, Texas, and we're going to be going to meet her and my sister and my aunt and maybe my step or my half-brother, and my grandpa. I have a grandpa who's still living who's 93 years old, and we're going to go meet all of them in Springfield or Ozark, Missouri, in two weeks. And I'm kind of excited about that. I think Denise is more excited about that than I am. I hold it in more, but uh, I am excited about that. I'm looking forward to what this newfound discovery will mean for me as far as, you know, there, there are some things I think I need to know. Right? Health-wise, I need to know some things. I, I need to know, um, you know, just some history there. But really and truly, who I am is not predicated upon my flesh. It's not. I choose who I am. And I'm going to make a choice either to be who God wants me to be, who He designed me to be, or be who I want to be, which is going to be different from that. And people who simply follow their flesh is always and will always find themselves far from what God wants them to be and far from what God created them to be. Everyone at some point in their life 
becomes curious about who they are. They ask themselves the question, well, who am I? You know, what am I supposed to be doing? Why am I here? Some people try to, you know, ignore it, and they suppress that desire. And they may try to suppress it with drugs and alcohol or other types of sinful relationships and sinful activities. But we need to know from God who we are. And if we do turn to God and seek the answers that are provided for us in His Word, not only can we know who we are, but we know who we can be. And the reality is none of us are yet who we can be. And we're all striving for that. Trying to be the person that God wants us to be so that we can bring glory and honor to Him. Um, in that article that I mentioned earlier, 12 tips to guide you on your journey to self-discovery. Now, some of these things are not bad in and of themselves. For example, the first one, practice mindfulness. Now, what they had in mind was meditating like from a Hindu or from a Buddha perspective. You know, looking inside of how you feel. But we ought to be mindful and we ought to meditate upon the things of God. Uh, they also said, ask yourself, who am I? Well, that's interesting. Uh, but uh, I need to ask somebody that knows more than I do. I need to ask God who I am. And I need to seek out his counsel and will in my life because he's the one who made me. I did not make myself. Ask yourself, who am I from God's perspective? And I do need to keep account of what I do and how I live. And, you know, it says, find your core values. Well, my core values are going to be determined by the choices that I make, by what I choose to be my values. That's one of the great things about the creation of God. And us as human beings, we all, having free will, we choose what is valuable to us. We make that decision, that determination ourselves. When we find ourselves going away from God, rest assured, my friend, you have chosen values that are contrary to the will of God. You make that choice. You choose either the values that God has set before you that you ought to value, and the things that are really and truly most important in life, spiritual things. Those are the most important values that you can possibly have. If you have Christ, my friend, you have everything you need. You are truly wealthy. I don't care how much money you have. Bill Gates may be a very, very wealthy man, but without Christ, what is he? So find your core values. Find God's values. <laughs> Seek Him. Uh, find your purpose and passion. Well, God has given you a purpose, right? What is your purpose in life? Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13 actually tells us that. It tells us that the whole duty of man is what? Fear God. Keep His commandments. That's the whole duty of man. That's for every one of us. Every one of us. No exception to that. You were made to fear God and to keep His commandments. That is your purpose in life. That's your whole purpose in life. Look into your childhood. I, I, I don't know. I mean, certainly there are habits and tendencies and things that we are... That, that we develop as we grow. And it is true that the courses, the choices that we make and the courses that we, those, these choices set us on early in life can become habit-forming. And certainly we need to go back and think about some of those things, I guess, 
at times, but the reality is, regardless of my childhood, regardless of where I came from, regardless of whether my daddy or mama was mean to me or good to me, regardless of my external circumstances, whether I was raised in poverty or I was raised with a silver spoon in my mouth, it really doesn't matter who I am today. I choose today whether I'm going to glorify God or not. And I can use whatever I have and whatever I have brought with me from the past, I can use that today to please God, whatever that is. I, 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 listen to what others say about you. Now, we all need encouragement from our friends. and We hopefully will surround ourselves with people who will encourage us from a spiritual perspective. Who will correct us when we do those things that are wrong. Put their foot down and say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to be around you if you're going to do those things. That's, that's sinful, that's wicked, and I'm not going to have a part of that. But what they meant, and as they explained this in the article, you know, you listen to what others say about you from the standpoint of, if, if everybody else says that this is okay, then it must be okay. No. No, that's not the way it works. God says what is okay and what is good. And he defines who you ought to be. Take personality tests. You know those things that you see online, you know, to find out which personality it is. Certainly we're all different. And we all have different abilities. Certainly we are to look into those things and how we can best fit within the local church and how we can best fit in with the people of God and how we can best use our abilities and our talents for God. Uh, but again, that's not really what they're talking about. They're, they're talking about, you know, just see who you are and be that. Whatever that is. Uh, practice self-care. Do what makes you feel good is their idea of it. Well, practicing self-care means to do what makes me right with God. Uh, listen to what you say. Yes and no to. I, I do think that's important. However, what I say yes and no to does not determine whether that is a good thing or a bad thing. Um, what I say yes and no to does indicate the values that I have established for myself. But that is not to establish what is good or bad. And surround yourself with people who allow you to grow, who I'd say surround yourself with people who encourage you to grow in Christ. Uh, so all of these things, yes, there are some positive things there, but the question is, what does God say? What does God say? Men do not have the answers for who you are apart from God. They don't. They never will. Regardless of all of the self-help books that have been written, and there are countless self-help books that have been written, some of them by religious men, more or less. Joel Osteen has written several self-help books. And he kind of styles himself as the self-help preacher so that you can have your best life now. But that's not the Bible or the God that we serve. That's not his way. It is about how to have eternity with him and not how to have the best life now. Huh, if that's what you're after, you're looking in the wrong place if you're looking to God because he's not going to tell you how to have your best life now from a physical or material perspective. He's going to tell you to ha how to have eternity with him, eternal peace and joy, and have eternal life, which will require sacrifice here, which will, will require hardship here, 2 Timothy 
chapter 3 and verse 12, for all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's going to, it, it's going to entail difficulties. In Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, the prophet says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And one of the major problems with much of the self-help counselors of our day is that they are not looking to God and what He says, but rather looking into the heart of wicked man. And it is the heart of wicked man that is determining what will be accepted. The heart is deceitful above all things. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 3, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. If you want to find out what's good or what's... Don't look within yourself. You have to look to God. Don't look out to men, other men, and see what they have. Look to God. Because God is the only one who has that perfect and righteous standard. He's the only one, the one who created you is the only one that can tell you who you ought to be, what you ought to be, what you ought to be doing. Not yourself, not men. In Matthew 15 and verse 19, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. It all begins in our minds. And if our minds are not governed by or controlled by the will of God, then what's going to be coming out of our minds? If we have not been educated in the things of God, what will be in our hearts? If we allow the world, in Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That's what you were made for. But be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, our mind has to be renewed. And when we allow the world to conform our thinking into the world's mold, then what's going to be in our thinking? Wickedness, evil, thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. My friend, we cannot be who God wants us to be apart from God. We must come to see ourselves as God sees us. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. Examine yourselves. Now, in order to do that, you have to be honest. And you have to be teachable. You have to be willing to accept whatever God says about who you are and about who you ought to be. Only God's Word defines who and what, you, what we should be. Paul David Tripp, here's a quote, says, It's only in the mirror of God's Word that you see yourself accurately, and only in His grace that you find help for what you see. Now here's a truth. When we look into the Word of God, as James 1, 24-26 says, now we look into that perfect law of liberty, into the Word of God, and we continue in that. And we're not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, We'll be blessed in what we do. But if you reject what that perfect law of liberty says, that mirror of the soul, as we look into it, we turn away from it and don't do it, 
We'll forget who God tells us we ought to be, and we'll go off and we'll do whatever we want. And we will reject, in the process, the grace that God provides through His Word for us to become who He wants us to be so that we can be productive spiritually, successful spiritually, and have everlasting life. And that's up to us. Who will we listen to? There is a real danger of self-deception. This is kind of a scary thing to think about. The danger is truly real. Ladies and gentlemen, I know that there are many people who think they are right with God. They think that they are spiritual. They think that they're going to heaven. They believe that they are are, are holy and righteous and worshiping and serving God. But they're not. We can think that we are right with God when we are not. That's a scary thought. In Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, remember the Pharisee who goes up to the temple to pray. And he prays thus with himself, God, I'm thankful that I'm not like other men. I'm thankful, Lord, that I give 10% of all that I have, that I do this, that I fast twice a week, that I do that, that I'm not like this publican over here, especially. But you see, that guy thought he was right with God. He called himself worshiping God. He was in the temple praying. But it's interesting how Luke phrases that. He prayed thus with himself. How high did his prayer actually get? Now, uh, that's something to think about. But he thought he was right with God. He was thankful he wouldn't like all those sinners. Romans 10, verses 1 through 3, the unbelieving Jews thought that they were right with God. And Paul even acknowledges, I know that you have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And he's praying for these brethren in the flesh that they would be saved. But he knew that they were lost, even though they thought they were right with God. There is a real danger of self-deception. You see, when we look into our own hearts, and we allow our hearts to be our standard and be our guide, then we are looking in the wrong place. The popular expression today would follow your heart. My friend, following your heart is going to get you in a lot of trouble. Following your heart will lead you down the road that eventually leads to hell. Unless your heart is trained, it is guided by, instructed by the Word of God fully. And even then, listen, you follow God's Word, not how you feel. In Revelation 3, verses 14 through 17, the Laodiceans, a church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Lord told them that if they did not repent, he would spew them out of his mouth. They made him sick at his stomach. But they thought that they were enlightened. They thought that they were wealthy spiritually. They thought they were right with God. But they weren't. In James 1.26, the one who has an unbridled tongue... If he thinks he's still right with God, he deceives himself. You go out and you're cursing and you're gossiping and you're making fun of other people, running down other people and constantly using your tongue in ways that Satan would smile. 
Be assured. If you think you're right with God, you're deceiving yourself. In 1 John 1, 8 through 10, those pre-Gnostics that John is exposing in this epistle, one of their claims was, we can continue to live in sin and still be right with God. There are, false, there are false doctrines today that are based on the same premise. The doctrine of once saved, always saved is actually based on this very premise, this error that John is dealing with in 1 John. They thought that they could continue in sin and still have fellowship with God, that they could still be right with God. And John said, no, 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 no. If you think that you are not guilty of your sin, you deceive yourself. But whoever confesses his sin, Jesus Christ is faithful and just to forgive you your sin. But if you say we have no sin while you're committing sin, you are a liar. In 2 Peter 2, verses 12 through 16, the false teachers who were permeating the religious world at that time, most of them Judaizing teachers. And one of the things, and here in 2 Peter chapter 2, also you have this idea, well, you can continue in sin. Because they were deceiving people into thinking that they could live however they wanted to live and still have fellowship with God. And the Apostle Peter says, no, not only will they be condemned, but so will you if you follow them. So people can think that they're right with God when they're not. That's a scary thought. There are several potential blinders. Things that will hinder us from seeing the truth about ourselves. And, and I'll say to you, number one, one of the things that was mentioned in that article that just continued to come out was the dependence upon human wisdom, experiential knowledge of temporal things. And when we confine our wisdom and our understanding to the human experience, to temporal studies, to psychological and physical studies and exclude God from the equation we are following what the Bible talks speaks of as human philosophy or human wisdom in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8 beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. You see, Christ is the example. Christ is our Lord. He's not of the world. And the world hates Him. But when the world defines what we think about ourselves, then we are certainly going to be a wretched creature. When we allow the world and the worldly perspective to define us, then as the Ecclesiastic writer, as we studied the book of Ecclesiastes uh, last few months, listen, all we're going to come to is, oh, wretched me, oh, miserable me, there's nothing left, there's nothing here. This world is a terrible place, and you're going to realize that in the end, every single thing in this world, in this life, that is not truly spiritual and not of God, everything is vain. It's all vanity. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. When we simply depend upon human wisdom to define who we are, what a vain 
source of information we are drawing from. Temporal things. The Bible in Job 15 verse 31, let him not trust in futile things, deceiving himself, for futility will be his reward. And you, you seek out material things, temporal things, well, that's all you're going to have. When you leave this life, you're not going to have anything to take with you at all. In fact, your spiritual life will be non-existent because you have wasted your life on material things and you're not going to have anything to stand before God with. You're going to be destroyed in hell. That's not a pleasant thought. Take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Who you are has actually nothing to do with how much you have. But we, we judge people that way all the time. And we think even of ourselves. Well, success means to have a lot of money. To be successful means that I have power and authority. To have success means that I have prominence and position. I have fame. I have fortune. That's success in our worldview. My friend, true success, true success is being rich in God. And if you're not wealthy in the things that God has blessed you with in Christ, you have nothing. I don't care how much money you have. You can be the president of the United States of America. If you are morally bankrupt, you are bankrupt. You have nothing. I don't care who you are. Consider some lessons from Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, he's talking there to religious people, actually. In the first several verses, he's talking to those who you know, do good. But they don't do good to please God. They do good to please themselves and to draw, draw praises of men. That's a temporary standard of praise. And the prayers that they, that they uttered were not to God. It was that they may be honored by men. And Jesus makes the point over and over again. He talks about fasting next. And all three of these, by the way, are expressions of worship. And Jesus makes the point. He says, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men that they are, that they may appear to those to be men to be fasting. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. That's all they get. That's it. They don't get a reward from God. And then he talks about your values, okay, verses 19 and 20. Verses 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where, your moth, and, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Listen, we again choose our values. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. We choose our values. We choose where we're going to place our values. We choose then what we're going to focus on, verses 22 and 23. Let your eye be single. We choose what we focus on, don't we? And what we are focused on will automatically kind of discount everything else. Everything else is going to be pushed to the side. Uh, you know, what makes you feel most excited? The things that you are most interested in? Be honest with yourself. Ask yourself this question. Are those things spiritual or are they temporal? 
many young people, they get all caught up in music. They get all caught up in video games. Those things become very, very important to them. They get caught up in television. Those things become very, very important to them. They get caught up in athletics and sports. And again, there's nothing wrong with athletics. There's nothing wrong with music in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with television in and of itself. Where do we place our values? What becomes so important to us? Do we allow those things to hinder us from being the people that God would have us to be? Where do we really place our values? Because when our focus, when we find ourselves that our focus is so caught up in these temporary, materialistic, physical things, what suffers? Our spiritual life suffers. There's no way around that. And that tells you really where your heart lies. And then as Jesus goes on and says, you know, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Listen, you cannot put the things of this world, number one, and then please God. You can't do that. No one can serve two masters. Either he will trust and love the one and hate the other, or else he will hate the one and love the other. It's, you can't have two masters. And the idea here is a master, a, a lord over his servant. And that is the picture here. You cannot have two masters. You're either going to be loyal to the Lord or you're not going to be loyal to the Lord. If you want to do some, some uh, part-time work for the devil, <laughs> the Lord's not going to accept you. You can't do any moonlighting for the devil. Don't work. You're either going to serve the Lord or you're not. And then he talks about the material things. Don't worry, he says. Don't be anxious over these things. The birds have enough because God takes care of them. The flowers in the field, God takes care of them. Why do you doubt? Why do you allow the material things to divert your attention from the things that really matter? Your journey to self-discovery needs to go beyond the things that are temporary, the things that are physical, the things that are material. Your journey to self-discovery needs to think about God's perspective and God's promises and God's Word. Many people ask this question, how do you feel? <laughs> what feels most natural? What makes you feel good? Does it feel right? How does, how does it make you feel? How do you feel this morning? I'll tell you something. I love my grandkids. I really, really do. But if you were to ask me when I came into the building how I felt, I'm tired. <laughs> they, they, they were at the house last night, went to a football game yesterday afternoon. It was hot, wasn't it, Justin? It was hot. Juju was out there playing. It was hot. Kind of gets you tired just thinking about it. Uh, and then, of course, I had a good morning this morning. Don't get me wrong. Everything was fine. But there are mornings that things don't go so well. You know, I burnt my egg the other morning. That kind of set my day off wrong. Uh, things get started off on a, bad, you know, on a bad foot. You don't get a good night's rest. And you're kind of in a bad mood. But really, you know what? It doesn't matter how you feel. What matters is, as Alistair Begg said in a, in a video that I saw not long ago, 
He says, don't tell me how I feel. Tell me what I know. Tell me what God says. Tell me what His Word says. Because if I am focused on the things of God, and if I am allowing God's promises to influence my thinking, I don't care what's going on in my life, I'm going to feel good. Because I've got God's knowledge, God's wisdom, and God's promises in my heart. And that makes a big difference. That which is good and right is not determined by how we feel. It is determined by what God says. Proverbs 14 and verse 12. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. It's not how I feel. How is the person going to feel who is unlearned when it comes to, to God and His will? How is a person going to feel who has been uh, taught by the world, brought up by the world, when they're committing sinful, sinful things, things that we may recognize clearly as sin? We were talking this morning about sexual immorality and the promiscuity, the sexual promiscuity that is so common today. I mean, if you're a virgin, if you're a teenager and you're a virgin, if you reach your 20s and you're still a virgin and you're not married yet, people think you're odd and weird and you're... Gee, stay away from that guy. Being righteous is not liked in our world. But let's just say that you are brought up and conformed by the world in your thinking. You're not going to think anything's wrong with shacking up with somebody. That's not gonna. That's not gonna affect your conscience at all. It's gonna be all right, and you don't see what the big deal is, and why there are some people who just see that as that's that's wrong, and they're gonna think, well, how can you judge me, my friend? Listen, it's not me judging anybody. God has made it very clear: fornication is sin, and those who practice fornication and adultery and homosexuality and murder and stealing and covetousness, and you just go on down the list. Those who do these things, Paul says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's very simple. It's not about how I feel that determines what's right or wrong. Those who have been brought up in the world and taught the worldly standards will not be able to determine how they, by how they feel what is right or wrong. What's wrong is going to feel right. Because, as Isaiah says, everything is upside down for them. If we think that we can be who and what we ought to be without God's guidance, then we are proud, we are self-sufficient in our own thinking, and we are dooming ourselves to eternity separated from God. Proverbs 26 and verse 12, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. The person who thinks that he can govern himself and guide himself and strengthen himself, provide for himself all that he needs, is a fool. Before we can be who and what we ought to be, we have to first humble ourselves. 1 Peter 5 and verse 5. Submit yourself to God. That's the first step. That's why Matthew 5 and verse 3 starts off by, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The very first beatitude. Blessed are the poor 
in spirit. That's the beginning place. Now God has something to work with. But you have to determine to be that humble person. If we're truly humble, then God will make us into what he wants us to be. Yes, you see, God is the potter. We are the clay. But what happens if that, pot, that, that clay is marred in the potter's hands? By the way, in Jeremiah, when the potter and clay illustration is used, he's talking about nations. I understand that. But God is sovereign, and God has the right to tell us what's right and what's wrong, and he will make us into who he wants us to be if we will but submit to him. But that requires, it demands humility on our part. God cannot make a proud person who resists God's instructions, God cannot make him into the person that God wants him to be. God could not make Pharaoh into the person that God wanted him to be, that he desired him to be, if, you know, from salvific perspective, because Pharaoh was stubborn and hard-headed. Pharaoh was not going to do what God says. Now, God took that stubbornness in Pharaoh, and he allowed him to ascend to a position of authority and power so that God's might could be expressed through him. God did not make Pharaoh wicked, though. God took that wicked man and demonstrated his power through him. And God hardened his heart by telling Pharaoh to do that which he knew Pharaoh did not want to do. Pride, Pharaoh. Humility. What about other leaders in the Bible? You have David, who was a man. Contrast him with Saul. Saul was a proud man. David was a humble man. For the most part. He had his problems. But when he was corrected, you see his humility coming out in Psalm 51. I have sinned against you and you alone have I done this evil in your sight. He was a penitent man. A love for sin. I need to move on. If we have pleasure in unrighteousness, we will seek to justify our, our unrighteous life. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 10 through 12, if we do not receive a love for the truth that we might be saved, God will send us a strong delusion that we will be deceived. God will allow that to happen. Because we have pleasure in unrighteousness, God will allow us to be deceived, and he will even send us a strong delusion that we may think that we're okay as we are. That's a scary thought. You know, in order to justify our unrighteousness, we have to suppress, to hold down the truth. We have to deny the truth. We have to twist what God says. And you see people all the time trying to twist what God says. Now, they'll do double backflip bendovers trying to get around what God says when God, what God says is so simple. Try to change the truth. But the reality is, if we reject God's word about anything, any sin in our life, what we're really doing is we are rejecting the truth about ourselves. We are rejecting the truth of who God wants us to be. Here are some things that some people do who have some of these blinders on. They, you know, it's easy to judge somebody else. When we're trying to make ourselves feel better about our sinful behavior, it's easier to point our finger at somebody else and say, you know, they're a worse sinner than I am. To recognize the sin of others is easy. Not so easy to recognize that being that's in our own eye. Comparing ourselves to worse sinners, 
2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, uh, don't compare yourself to others. But the reality is many people do just that. And uh, they'll pick out the worst person that they can imagine. Well, I'm better than that guy. Well, that's not going to get you to heaven. You see, instead of comparing yourself to sinners, we need to compare ourselves to Jesus. There's your comparison. That will help us have proper perspective on our own life. And shifting blame. Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, you know, Eve. Well, first Adam. The woman that you gave me. Well, actually, you know what? Adam, who did he really blame? <laughs> he blamed God because he said, see, the woman you gave me gave me that, that, that fruit to eat. You cannot be successful in the sight of God spiritually by shifting blame to somebody else. You need to accept responsibility, accountability for your own sin. Assuming virtue by association. Here's another very dangerous blinder. Assuming virtue by association. Children, listen, don't think you're going to heaven just because your mama and daddy are godly people. Don't think that you're going to heaven just because you come to a worship service where people are coming together to worship God and you sit in the assembly and you yourself are not living a godly life. That, just being here is not going to help you get to heaven in and of itself. You have to change yourself. You have to be godly. Now it's true that hopefully by being around godly people that will rub off on you and you'll be encouraged to straighten up your life and live for God. Hopefully that's the case. But just because you're around godly people doesn't mean that you are right. Redefining sin. We define sin relative to our circumstance. many people think that, well, you know, I, I don't have any money, I don't have a job, my, the, my boyfriend has left me, the daddy of this child is gone, and so I don't have any way to raise this child, so I'm just going to murder this baby before I have it. We call it abortion. And I don't care what kind of circumstances this child was conceived, I don't care about the circumstances in which this child is going to be born or the circumstances in which this child is going to be raised. To murder that baby is murder. Plain and simple. We cannot redefine sin by our circumstances. Some reason like this, well, I've done this and I'm doing this, therefore God won't hold whatever sin I'm committing against me. It's just a little sin. You know, I... I go out and party on the weekends. I go over here to Electric Cowboy and I, I dance all night long. And then every once in a while I may go home with somebody and I may have a sleepover with somebody of the opposite sex. But, you know, I, I do go to church on Sunday. So, you know, that kind of evens it out, don't it? No, it doesn't. Prejudice. By the way, prejudice is a terrible, terrible sin whether it's racism or whatever. But here's the, the idea of prejudice really is to determine a thing before you hear the evidence. You prejudge something. You prejudge someone because of the color of the skin. That's sin. I'll tell you something else, though. To make a determination or decision or a judgment on a matter 
before you hear the evidence of that is a foolish thing. That's prejudice. And sometimes we determine what's right and what's wrong before we hear what God has to say about it. Because this is what we want. We make up our mind, and that's just the way it is. It's prejudice. Or hard-headedness. Some people are just stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears. They have so lived a life of rebellion and sin against God that they become so hardened that God cannot penetrate them no matter what. So quickly, how can we discover who we should be? First and foremost, we have to have a fear for God. We have to develop that. We have to choose that. Proverbs 1 and verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That would then put us into a mindset of humility. Because when we recognize who God is, then we can see ourselves who we are. Really. We're God's creation who is accountable to our creator for how we live our life. And then meekness, which is the product of humility, which allows God then to teach us. James 1.21, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. We will, out of a humble heart now, receive God's teaching. To be meek is to be teachable, is to be gentle, is the desire to learn and to grow. We have to be honest, honesty. The Bereans were more noble in heart. They were honest, and they searched the scriptures daily to see whether the things they were taught were so. You see, they didn't prejudge what they heard. Well, he's an apostle. He, that's his Paul. Certainly what he says is right. No, they still went back and they searched everything that he said from the Scripture. That's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to your Bible and search everything that I say from the Word of God. Compare what I say with God's Word. Be honest then in how you receive that. Examine yourself in the light of what God says. Be an examiner of your own life from God's Word. Not the other way around. Don't judge God's Word by how you feel. Take God's word and let it shine a light on who you really are and then who you should be. Then study, seek God's word, continue to be diligent in God's word. Trust what God has to say. Receive that instruction and follow it. Apply it to your life, James 1, through 25. When we are doers of the word and not hearers only, we will find blessing at the end of the road, but that's up to us. And then it requires diligence to continue to watch ourselves, to guard our hearts. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 24 through the end of the chapter. Guard your hearts. Give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. So, giving diligence and, and all these things, you know, is very important. Like David, we need to come to the realization that we have sinned when we sin. We need to come to the realization that what God says is right and trust that. Turn away from our sin, truly by a change of our heart, a change of our mind, conform our life to God's will. Submit to Him. Obey Him. We see this in the example of all those in the Bible who were right with God. We cannot be right with God by saying, God, this is what I'm going to do. You better accept it. No, it doesn't work that way. There is a real danger of self-deception. And we need to be aware of that and be on guard. We must honestly examine ourselves in the light of what God says. And not by how we feel, what we want, or the sins that we are committing. We, we, nothing can be defined by our desires. Everything has to be defined by what God says. 
And when we follow the biblical path of self-discovery, we will begin by respecting God for who He is. We will humble ourselves before God because of who He is. We will receive His teaching meekly, being teachable, learning from Him. And honesty and integrity then will play a part in seeing ourselves as we really are. And then we will continue to examine ourselves in the light of what God says. We will study to learn more about what God would have us to do in our life and how we ought to live and who we must be. And we will seek with diligence to apply His teaching to our life that we will be right before Him. Because that's what matters. Journey to self-discovery. God's way. Submitting to God. Maybe you're here this morning. Obeying the gospel is is the starting point. By submitting to Jesus Christ as the Lord. By obeying His command to be baptized. Because you trust Him enough to do what He says. To turn away from sin because He died for you. And turn away from sin and, and truly allow Him to guide you in your life. To govern your will. And to commit your life to serving Him. My friend, that's your choice. If you want to know who you really are, look to God. Look to His Word. If you want to know whether your heart is right in the sight of God, you have to look at God's Word and allow Him to show you. And if we can help you in any way this morning, please come while we stand. While we stand.